There will be spoilers on this podcast, so if you don't want to be spoiled for this book, stop listening now. Hi, horn dogs and doggettes. I'm Lena. And I'm Nadine. I'm a writer and a critic. I work in book publishing. We are lesbians. And we're in love. This is Thinking Straight, a bi-weekly podcast where we read and analyze contemporary heterosexual romance novels. We love women, and we want women's interests to be taken seriously, which is why we're making this podcast. So if you enjoy any of the books we talk about, please know that we love that for you. And we're roasting them from a place of love of the genre and its readers. We hope this podcast makes you laugh or makes you think, ideally both. So without further ado, let's get into this week's book. This week we read A Princess for Christmas by Jenny Holiday. Nadine, why did you pick this book? This is a listener write-in alert. (laughs) Um, Our friend Deirdre Rose, you can follow her bookish podcast, Books on the Brain, responded to our Thinking Straight Instagram story and suggested this title. Thank you, Deirdre. We had a good time with this one. It was a nice Christmassy read. Yes. On the whole. Thank you for not torturing us. (laughs) We still have things to say. Don't worry. Yeah, no, there's stuff to say, Um, but obviously, for some reason, Wildfire just really bummed us out uh, (laughs) so hard, Um, and this was definitely more of an upper, Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So, thanks so much. If you, listener, are interested in influencing what we may read on this podcast, you can make a suggestion, too. You You can. can. uh, Email us at thinkingstraightpod at gmail.com at any time. Anytime. Do it right now. Right now. Okay, babe. Uh, what was this book even about? We All read right. it like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Here's our Christmas story. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Leo Ricci is a 25-year-old-ish cab driver, apartment building super, and architecture school dropout from the Bronx, working to make ends meet and take care of his little sister, 11-year-old Gabby who was entrusted to his care three years ago when their parents died in a car accident. Right around Christmas. Right around Christmas is so tragic. As they drive past the UN building one December afternoon in Leo's off-duty cab, Gabby points out a woman in a glamorous dress desperately trying to hail them down. It's obviously a princess who needs their help. Leo resists initially, but gives in to Gabby's pleas and pulls over to see where the woman is heading. She is, it turns out, an actual real-life princess. Her Royal Highness Marie of Aldovia, a very small fictional alpine country near Germany and France. Marie is fresh from giving a successful speech about the European refugee crisis to the UN General Assembly, but she's late to an important yacht party where she's supposed to meet with a watch dealer who is one of the main cogs in her tiny country's economic machine. Apparently, much of their economy is sustained by the production and sale of luxury watches. (laughs) (laughs) she offers leo an outrageous sum if he can drive her down to the pier in 20 minutes before the boat leaves gabby is thrilled leo is reluctant marie's bodyguard is displeased and marie is desperate leo agrees and on the drive down he finds her much more approachable than he'd expect a princess to be she makes it to her important party just in the nick of time and that night she offers leo a deal she'll pay him five thousand dollars a day if he'll be her chauffeur for the next three days for the duration of her new york city trip Leo's a little bit too proud to take that absurd rate, but on the other hand, that money could pay off so many of his debts and even allow him to splurge on a vacation for him and Gabby. So, he agrees. As the week rolls on, he finds himself unexpectedly charmed by his passenger. 
Sure, she's sheltered in many of the ways you'd expect for a princess, but they bond over their shared traumas of losing their mothers around Christmas time. Yes, Marie's mother also died around Christmas time. The way and- Okay, but the way that they share it with each other is like four Christmases ago. Like, <laughs> they're not just like, oh, and it was around Christmas. They're like, yeah. yes, two My Christmases died ago. Two Christmases ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, How many Christmases has it been? <laughs> Since guys your parents died. Is, it's about christmas i don't know if you realize that a princess for christmas is about christmas um okay and leo's impressed by her genuine kindness generosity and drive to do what she can for her country sparks fly and by the end of the week and actually the end of three days i guess marie has invited him and gabby to tea in her suite at the plaza and leo's brought her ice skating at rockefeller center her last night in New York, they get into a snowball fight and share a kiss outside Leo's apartment. But it's almost Christmas, and she has to go home. Not but Christmas quite. being a malevolent <laughs> force in this story. <laughs> then Marie comes up with a wonderful idea. Since Leo and Gabby are alone for Christmas, she invites them to join her in Aldovia, where they have an annual cocoa festival, a Christmas Eve ball, which is called the Cocoa Ball, and generally celebrate the holiday with enormous pomp and circumstance. Leo tries to protest, but in the end, they go. The next week is a whirlwind winter wonderland. Leo gets to know Marie on a deeper level and sees how lonely her life is, especially after her mother's passing. She shows him a secret clearing in the woods on the castle grounds where a half-built cabin stands. It was her mother's project, but in his grief, her father forbade Marie to have the cabin completed after her mother's death. It's so sad. Seeing how much the place means to Marie, Leo resolves to finish it himself before he goes, with the help of Marie's former classmate and friend from the nearby village. Amidst their blossoming romance, which yes, this book does have sex scenes, don't worry, we're going to talk about it, but that's just happening throughout all of this. Uh, <laughs> well, because they agreed to like a friends with benefits situation, because they're yeah, like, obviously this isn't really... But that's the plot of that the is book. The plot. Like, stop, stop <laughs> gaslighting me. She's like, this isn't going anywhere. So, like, why don't we have an arrangement? And yes. he's like, great. And then it starts going somewhere, and they're both like, oh no, oh no, who could have predicted this? Yeah. Um. So, amidst all of that arrangement, uh, Christmas magic and various third act hijinks ensue, from Gabby going missing in a snowstorm to Marie confronting the king over his snobby attitude towards these rough-around-the-edges Americans, to a dramatic ballroom scene in which Leo and Marie's intended suitor, her longtime family friend Max, work together to ensure that she doesn't have to marry out of obligation and can secure the freedom and love of her dreams without losing her title. In the end, Leo ends up betrothed to the Princess of Aldovia with the unexpected blessing of the king, which is unexpected to them, but not for the reader. (laughs) Um, And in the epilogue, six months later, he and Gabby pack their bags and get ready to relocate to their new royal life. He picks up Marie from the airport as she comes to visit New York and proposes to her with his mother's engagement ring, and everyone lives happily ever after. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And if you don't celebrate Christmas, fuck you. (laughs) No one in the country of Aldovia doesn't celebrate Christmas. I'm sorry, I will just quickly say, like, I get that Christmas is just a cultural juggernaut, and, Mm -hmm. like, Hanukkah, like, it's not even the most important Jewish holiday. Like, companies just decided to shill to Jewish people so they felt less left out during the Christmas season. 
But this German speaking, like <laughs> European country that like only celebrates Christmas and everyone therefore must be Christian. Um, I was reading it kind of like, so where were you guys during World War II? <laughs> like, let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, you know, especially because <laughs> our Bronx man is like, oh, you haven't had Schmier? Like, you got to have Schmier. Like, he's he's not Jewish, but it's like. You're He's kind like, of culturally Jewish if you, up, <laughs> if you grow up in New York. So, um, but that said, let's pretend that it's just Christmas all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's just Christmas. And that's and fine. And so wonderful. Yeah. So, good news. The good news. <laughs> um, in general, we liked Leo. He's very sweet. He really is almost never problematic. Well, she, I don't know. It, what bugs me is that, like, the author wants him to be more problematic. Yeah. And so they're just these weird And it bursts. doesn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> just let him be, like, a cool guy from the Bronx. Yeah. He also, like, his whole thing about how he was really passionate about architecture and, like, he was never a great student, but he loved architecture and he did construction with his dad and he grew up and his dad was like, no, you're going to go to college. And he was like, but I just want to build stuff. And he was like, what about architecture? And they were like, wow. There's, like, actually backstory to this man. Like, yeah. he's just, he's like a real guy and yeah. he seems nice, but then he had to, of course, tragically drop out of architecture school to take care of his younger sister and now they're orphans. Yeah. He's like... A nice dude. He cares. He works hard for the people he loves. Mm -hmm. he... He's a big acts of service king. Yeah, absolutely. There's one point in the like wishy-washiness of will they start fucking? Won't they start fucking? They decide to start fucking. And Marie is like, oh, but I don't have contraception. <laughs> and he's like, then let's do stuff that doesn't require contraception. I.e. Like, I don't care. Like, let's yeah. just get off together. Which like, cheers. Yeah. Very much not in his ego yeah. about sex, which is refreshing yeah. to say the least let it be known that uh any exchange of body fluids during a sexual interaction can result in stds <laughs> sex education corner but yeah um, stds don't exist in romance yeah so speaking of another thing that we found charming was his relationship with his younger sister gabby he built this cardboard fireplace in their apartment because they don't yeah. have a fireplace in their apartment and they used to live in a house in the Bronx, but then they couldn't afford it after their parents died. Yeah. So so that they had something to put their stockings on. Yeah. He built a cardboard fireplace. So that's very cute. Mm -hmm. He definitely goes out of his way to like try with her. There are some moments where we're like, bro, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the, the problematic Gabby parts. Not that Gabby's ever problematic. She's, no, she's great. She's an unproblematic queen. <laughs> um, three cheers for Gabby. I don't really know why she's in this book other than to make <laughs> Leo seem sweeter. Yeah. Um, which does, again, work <laughs> to a certain extent. But yeah, this like romance novel preoccupation with children mm -hmm. as a way to like soften up the man, man yeah. is fascinating. But yeah, they play Minecraft together. It's generally pretty wholesome and she also gabby like loves him like it's very clear yeah even when he's kind of just like fucking around with marie and eldovia like as a reader i was never like what's gabby doing this whole time when yeah we're like it's very much like well we'll make sure to send her on this lovely trip to play with the village kids and like take a ski lesson and yeah. now we'll go do our thing so like yeah. she's definitely considered throughout in a way that was nice yeah i mean again i think the Best answer would be if Gabby simply did not exist or, like, did not go on this trip to Eldovia. Obviously, like, the reason for Leo to go to Eldovia is because Gabby wants to go so badly. Right. Also, I'm just, like, hearing myself say this shit out loud and it's, like, so ridiculous. I know, it's very silly. Um, but 
it also felt weird to me when they were like, oh, and don't worry, like, Gabby's doing, like, I'm like, yeah, I understand that you shipped her off to Equestrian Lessons so that you could fuck a princess. Yeah. Like, it doesn't necessarily make me feel better about this situation, <laughs> but I'm glad she's having a good time. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I also think that this is maybe the first novel we've read where a class disparity is handled not super ham-fistedly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was remarking on the fact that this is our first ever real working class hero in any of the books that we've read mm -hmm. and immediately we thought of brendan the king crab fisherman from our very first episode <laughs> is it, it brendan and not brandon it is brendan you're joking I, no because like, remember <laughs> during that whole time we were recording you kept saying brandon we had to redo it <laughs> There's probably definitely still times in that episode where Lena says Brandon. Brandon is not a name. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, he was secretly rich because apparently King right. Crab He's Fishing a billionaire. Is, is like extremely lucrative. Yeah. Um. But anyway, this guy genuinely is like just making ends meet. One thing that was really cool that Jenny Holiday pointed out is that having a medallion like to drive a yellow cab in New York is actually like insanely expensive. Mm -hmm. You have to shill out for one of those things. So they've basically trapped, especially immigrants who come to New York and buy a yellow cab medallion, imagining it'll be sort of their ticket to financial success, right. are just like totally fucked. The New York Times did reporting on it. My friend Brian Rosenthal, actually, who's never going to hear this shout out in this <laughs> podcast because there's no way he'll ever listen to it. But anyway, he's a really good dude and he won a Pulitzer Prize for reporting on this because... He's a really good reporter. And yeah, it's like genuinely an epidemic in the city that has led to, unfortunately, some cab drivers taking their own lives and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. It's a very perilous economic situation to be in. And so when immediately this guy's driving a yellow cab, I was like, oh God, like, are we really going to act like the yellow cab is this cool romantic thing in New York City when it's this incredibly fraught, actually, situation? And we don't. Miss yes. Jenny Holiday like explains that he doesn't even own the cab. A neighbor owns the medallion, and so yeah. he has to pay to even drive the cab to help the neighbor pay off the medallion. So it's like he's losing money to make money, and right. like it's this fucked up situation. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, not, not the accuracy about taxi medallions. Yeah, and like the only way they can even afford their apartment is because his friend Danny, who is also a side character in this that I didn't even mention in the synopsis because she's kind of irrelevant to the plot, but she's like the, kind of important but not at all. <laughs> is she's the focus of book two of this series? Mm -hmm. But she got him this job as a super so they can live as a super in her building so they can live in an apartment. So he's literally just like scraping rent and expenses together. Yeah. And even like in one of the opening scenes is like thinking to himself, you know, as a treat, maybe since it's almost Christmas, maybe we can get pasta for dinner on our way home. But, but like, he's like, but I'll just get it for her. I'm not going to get it for exactly. myself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You like see in his mind, like the realities of being someone who is living paycheck to paycheck and like struggling with money and like having to make decisions, especially about how he's going to care for this child. That was really interesting and like genuinely thought out and it made the world feel much more lived in mm -hmm. and also was compelling for this character. Like yeah. I was like, I relate to this dude. Like I am not a super or a yellow cab driver, but I am a person living in New York City who does not have excess money lying around at the yeah. end of the month. If one of us has to go to the hospital, there will be some real concerns about yeah. <laughs> how our rent is getting paid. Yeah. So yeah, that being said, obviously at the end of 
the book, he does just get whisked away to become literal royalty. So all problems solved there. But you know, maybe that's part of the fantasy of it all too. Right. That's true. And it is interesting to see the gender reversal there because mm -hmm. it's usually a woman meets a prince and then becomes a princess. Right. And like that is the ultimate fantasy because then you have people waiting on you hand and foot. Right. And this book is not only sort of deconstructing the fantasy of being a princess, although it ultimately plays into it at mm -hmm. the end. It is also being like, well, what if you working class Bronx man married a princess and then never had to worry about money ever again. So that's kind of cute. I will also just say Nadine's father's side of the family is from the Bronx. And I... I I'm charmed by scruffy little Bronx people. Um, <laughs> Bronx people. <laughs> We're Italian. Yeah, very Italian Bronx people. I don't know why I keep calling them that. Yeah. Bronx humans, as this book. <laughs> As this book would say. Cheers to all my Bronx people oh, listening to this Bronx podcast. Let's go Bronx people. Yeah, I don't know. He's just like, yeah, I'm a New Yorker. I'm your everyday guy. And it, it made me think of Nadine's grandpa. <laughs> That's fascinating. Interesting. On top of, you know, I think Leo being a generally believable, normal dude, the way that Jenny Holiday writes Marie being attracted to him feels also normal and not like this weird hyperbolic romance byproduct mm. of like oh like i wanted him to crush me into a pulp and like yeah. drink my blood she's just <laughs> like oh like he has cool veins in his arms and a little scruff and i think that that's hot and like <laughs> i don't know as a woman who's attracted to women on the more masculine end of the spectrum i'm like arm veins are hot like, it's <laughs> so true like she's like i like that he's a little rough around the edges mm -hmm. and i also liked that he was a little rough yeah. around the edges it did feel like understandable i think sometimes reading these romance novels as lesbians at least i speaking for myself i think sometimes i'm like and what do you see in this man it's well i guess it's like described in a way that feels accessible to me at all well i think what's happening is like we aren't conjuring some like hot guy up in our head because mm -hmm. we don't fantasize about men yeah so it's like if all I'm being given to work with is like light brown hair and like <laughs> a gravelly voice, I'm just like, okay, why is Edward Cullen yelling at me again? <laughs> <laughs> That's who you conjured. <laughs> again, like a light brown hair does not exist to me. Like I don't understand the concept. So like to have like an actually lived in male character. Yes. And this is, it's dual POV, but it's close third on both of them, mm -hmm. right? You get like a real sense of who he is and how he acts and what he looks like. And I was able to sort of be right there with her uh, yeah. in a way that I did not necessarily experience elsewhere uh, <laughs> in our romance reading journey. <laughs> yeah. And on the other hand, for these two being attracted to each other, at one point, Marie says that she's good at archery and Leo gets horny about it. And that is so real and relatable. Yeah. Like, I That's too the pinnacle of love when a woman <laughs> is good at archery yeah. and other such things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very cute. I mean, since she's from this, like, winter wonderland place in the Alps, she's like, I am very accomplished at all manner of uh, winter, winter activities. Sports. Yeah. Not that archery is a winter sport. But anyway, she's a little sporty. Yeah. Where'd he go? I guess that's, you know, you just got time when you're royal to learn to do all these things. So we love that for her. Yeah. And I mean, I went to school in New England after growing up in Florida my entire life. And people were like shocked that I was terrified of sledding. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, we simply did not have access to this where I, I know that you're lived of my time. You're really careening cute. down a hill. <laughs> 
with no I control. Do, okay. <laughs> I feel that way about skiing and uh, a lot of other winter sports. It's just smaller so skiing. Yeah. I feel um, like you have more control when you're sledding. I guess I've never sled down a huge hill. Well, okay. I went sledding maybe like three or four times as a kid when we would like see my grandparents in New yeah. England growing up. But, like, not enough that I was, like, used to it. So, as an adult, I did not preserve the childlike wonder of sledding. (laughs) I was just like, why am I risking life and limb to do this right now? Like, you know, once the adrenaline hits, it can get kind of fun. But everyone was like, let's do it. And I was like, (laughs) why, though? (laughs) And people didn't understand. So, yes, it's very charming that she's good at winter activities because I know what that means because I know what it means to not be good at winter activities because of how you were acculturated. (laughs) Let's talk about some of these side characters we enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Gabby was really cute. She was funny. She was like a little sassy sometimes. Uh, Yeah, she also was just like obsessed with books and reading. And that was very much me as an 11 year old. She at one point like sneaks into the library in the palace to like secretly get more books when she's not supposed to go in there by herself, which is like, yeah, that's the sort of trouble I was getting into at this age. And ultimately, even though the king is still kind of like, I don't really like what you two, i.e. Marie and Leo are doing. He's like, however, I do really like Gabby, so I will tolerate it. Like they become like besties. Yeah, they write letters to each other. About books. Yeah. Because they're both really into books. So he's like, she can stay therefore you can stay (laughs) yeah and I'm like that's kind of that's not ultimately how I felt about this book (laughs) but like I understand where he's coming from yeah we also liked Danny who was the ex-wife or soon-to-be ex-wife of Leo's like cousin or second cousin or something that's how they know each other yeah but they're just like besties basically actually he says that he wants Danny to be the best man at the wedding, which is really cute. And also Marie is going to have Max, her bestie, who she was intended to marry. They weren't actually engaged. She wants him as her maid of honor, so to speak. So we love it. It's a gay straight wedding. (laughs) Gay straight wedding. We love that shit. We love that shit. Yeah, there's also like a prissy old French dance teacher who is like trying to teach Marie to waltz. And she is famously a hopeless case. And mm-hmm. then like Leo sweeps her off her feet and they're amazing together. Yeah. Um, but this Frenchman is just like, no, no, no. Like, in, the, <laughs> in the background. And okay, let's like just talk about what I think we all want to talk about right now, which is the fact that The Princess Diaries primed <laughs> every little girl of a certain age to be interested in this subject matter. Yeah. What is your background with The Princess Diaries? You've just seen the movie, right? I might have read it. I don't know. It's like a 14-book series. Well, then I probably did it. (laughs) Uh, Well, so real ones will know. (laughs) No, I didn't end up finishing the series, but I want to say I got like eight books deep or something. I like started it when I was 10 or 11, I want to say. You know, that vociferous reading age. (laughs) And... It's a whole thing. It's very different from the movie. Fun fact, her dad is very much not dead. He just had testicular cancer, so he does not have any more progeny. And also, her grandmother is not Julie Andrews. Um, (laughs) She is like a campy old French woman grandmère who has like a mangy poodle um, that terrorizes everybody. And she's like... A nightmare. Um, <laughs> but I'm guessing once Julie Andrews was cast, they were like, all right, we're rewriting Grandma. Yeah. Uh, she must be Mary Poppins now. But anyway, they're delightful little books. Very, at least from my pre-New York days, they seemed very accurate about <laughs> what it is like to live in New York City as a young person in the aughts. 
and I'm sorry to say that uh, Mia and Michael are not Endgame. Um, <laughs> there's a whole host of boys uh, wow. that come and go throughout those eight books. Very dramatic. But if anything, I am even more primed to be obsessed <laughs> with all of this, especially because, listen, Genovia, Eldovia, like, be so fucking for real with me right now. <laughs> I'm like, Jenny Holiday read those books, too. She did yeah, not just yeah, watch yeah. the movie. Because also, like, Genovia's principal economic allies, like Monaco, I think. Uh-huh. And it's very similar, like, luxury, alpine, mm-hmm. random country, like, French, French-ish, German-ish yeah. country vibes. So I do think like the Princess Diaries was the blueprint for this. Obviously, what's it called? The Princess Switch, the Vanessa Hudgens um, <laughs> Netflix Whoa. movie does a very similar sort of like mm-hmm. like fake Bavarian winter country thing. <laughs> and repeatedly, I think to its own detriment, this novel is like, oh, it's like a fake Hallmark movie country because like, yeah. this is a trope. I don't know if it predates the Princess Diaries and the Princess Diaries just like really exploded it because it also introduced it to tweens that's quite possible but yeah this is like a whole universe unto itself i'm not a hallmark christmas kind of girl i don't know anything about any of that um but i do know a lot about young women being whisked away to (laughs) fake alpine vaguely french vaguely germanic countries uh and i get to thank meg cabot and mia thermopolis for that cheers cheers my little archive of Princess Diaries knowledge was definitely firing <laughs> I love during that. this whole thing. Yeah, clearly I did not ever read the books because I did not know that. Those books, I think, are a little bit more along the lines of what it is to be a modern princess. I don't know, like a lot about like the PR aspects mm-hmm. of it, basically. Whereas this book, I don't know, the like watch economy stuff, whatever. But also it's like they're in a giant castle having dinner with the peasant folk or like there was an aspect of it that felt sort of medieval. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No, and like going down into the village and they like serve hot chocolate on Cocoa Fest day to... Mm -hmm. All the villagers out of like cauldrons. They literally make it in cauldrons of the cat. Like it's like ah, the peasants come claim your cocoa. Yeah, (laughs) it's like a little. But you know, they say that Marie was educated in like the village's public school, which is weird. But she, you know, has friends who are just like regular people in town Mm -hmm. who she grew up with, and like apparently her mother insisted on as much of a normal life for her daughter as Mm -hmm. she could. Mm -hmm. Um, And things have gotten worse since her mother died. So yes very tragic but before we move on from the good news there are a couple of sex related things that we wanted to talk about in the good news so first of all i just have to read to you this very funny quote from leo i might be a poor schlub from the bronx but i know how to fuck (laughs) period period (laughs) so on that note uh, that basically seems to be true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a very lady-focused book, sexually. Mm-hmm. Cheers to that. He's a very lady-focused guy. The very first sex scene is, like, they start making out, and she's getting really into it and starts pumping his leg, basically. And he's like, yeah, like, get off on me. And she's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very good. And as a reader, I was very into it. But then mm-hmm. literally, it's like, and then she came, period, next paragraph. And I was like, I Jenny! <laughs> Jenny, I was like, no! Let's linger on that a little bit. You were doing great. Describe the orgasm. Yeah. Her sex scenes are generally kind of like that. There's like a lot of lead up and then yeah, not so much just follow like through. Peter yeah. out. It's not closed door, but it is just kind of like 
unsatisfying. (laughs) That being said, yeah, a lot of focus on the clitoris. Also, this was the first ever heroine with normal pubic hair that we've had on this podcast. She actually has pubic hair. It's mentioned. He, like, describes it fondly when, you know, they have sex for the first time with their clothes actually off. Yeah. And, yeah, we love that. Cheers to that. Let's go, girls. For accuracy's sake, I will say we have had other protagonists who have pubic hair, but it's, like, a landing strip or something right marie's pubic hair is described as quote a mass of springy curls and that's giving bush to me and i'm taking it all the way to the bank absolutely yeah Yeah. i mean hell yeah she's a european woman Mm -hmm. why should she ascribe to american beauty standards just because she watched a bunch of buffy the vampire slayer (laughs) and 90210 growing up (sighs) yeah so cheers to that um also noting this european versus american sort of standards she is like noting that all the other guys she's been with have been uncircumcised and leo is circumcised because americans are generally circumcised so facts. that was just like a yeah. we were like huh, like sex, sex ed facts <laughs> like there was a lot of just realness about the sex yeah. scenes i think and the way that they were described that was just like really refreshing because again i mean i think What I found refreshing about this book as a general note was the relationship between them and like the details about them felt just like, yeah, that's real life stuff. So thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. Now we have to talk about the things that we're not thanking Jenny for. (laughs) Yeah, not so good. Uh, As much as we loved Leo's relationship with his sister. Very early on in the book. The first scene, They're, like, driving together by the UN. Um, First of all, why is this man by the UN? He lives in the Bronx. (laughs) He is picking up his sister in the Bronx, and he's like, but I decided to drive by the UN to cheer her up and show her the UN architecture. Literally, he's like... And I'm like, like, ah, yes, like any 11-year-old girl would want. (laughs) Let me just go... How many blocks south? Like, a hundred blocks south? (laughs) Minimum. At least a hundred blocks south. They live in the South Bronx, and the UN, if you don't in know, rush hour. is, yes, what? It's crazy. Yeah. And it's such a thing about how, like, he's like, ah, I can't drive out of my way to drive this lady when I'm off duty during rush hour. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, you put yourself in Midtown East for hour? no fucking reason. Uh, yeah, that's your fault. And apparently the FDR is being resurfaced, so they can't even take the FDR. It's terrible. just a mess. Terrible. Anyway, it's terrible. <laughs> But anyway, Gabby in this first scene reveals to Leo that she got her period yesterday Mm -hmm. and she went to the school nurse and she got some pads and uh, she's just been dealing, but now she's out. And so now she has to admit to her brother that she has her first period and she needs to get some stuff from the store. And he, I mean, to his credit, on the surface, he is pretty normal about this. He's like, He's I have trouble like, believing well, that based I mean, on okay. literally He's the like described as he doesn't say anything here. The to like her. internal situation description, it's literally like glaciers started crumbling. Yeah. Like a tornado <laughs> like, touched down outside the car. The world ends because his little sister has got her period. I he, think the actual narration is like he was drowning. Yeah. Like I'm like, bro, like And if this had been played as like oh my god, she's growing up, you know, this is overwhelming, he's not really prepared for this, and he wants to make sure he's gonna, like, do the right thing for her and support her how she needs with this and, like, not be weird about it. If that was his concern, like, that would be great, but it's more like, oh my god, I can't think about my sister having a period, (laughs) and it's just like, bro, 
get a twin. 25 whole years old right now. Like, <laughs> and he's he, so fucking for like, real. Like, someone says the word tampon around him, and he's, like, shuddering. Like, he's as like, if, why is anyone saying that word? I'm like, for someone so obsessed with pussy, or so sorry. into, like, pleasing women, it's like, maybe you need to learn what a fucking tampon is, you absolute child. Yeah, it's just like, he's, like, grossed out by the whole thing, or, like, overwhelmed, or, like, afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, it's hyperbolic. It is, like, ridiculous. I'm just like, I'm you're like, literally getting so lucky that Marie can't hear your internal monologue, because any woman, if they knew that this was what was happening in your head, would be like, goodbye, or should be, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Well, so there's this scene where he's, like, about to drop Marie off, and then yeah. he's like, oh, shoot, I have to run into the store and get some pads or whatever for my sister. Which he wasn't going to do, by the way. He was like, oh, no, like, I forgot to get stuff for you. Like, what are you going to do? And she's like, oh, I just wadded up some toilet paper. Like, it'll be fine. And he's like, oh, okay, we'll get it tomorrow. And, like, we both, like, annotated on the Kindle. And we're like, don't get it tomorrow. Go out right now. Go to the bodega. They sell pads at the bodega. Like, what are you talking about? But Marie goes with him into, like, the CBS or whatever to help him figure out which things he should buy. And she's like, oh, in America, you guys have so many different brands. And he's like, oh, like, and she's like, well. And also everyone is saying that 11 years old is quote, too young for tampons. The school nurse tells Gabby this. She's like, yeah, the nurse said I was probably too young for tampons. I'm so texted. I'm so tempted to like text my ex right now and be like, would you ever in your life say this to a little girl? Because I know for a fact it would piss her off. Yeah. She'd be like, absolutely not. She's trying to like revolutionize sex ed at this one <laughs> private school in Brooklyn. It is I literally Googled. I was like, am I crazy? I was like, is 11 years? And it's just like Reddit threads of people being like, no, it's literally just people thinking that like you'll lose your virginity if you put a tampon in, which is some fucking 18th century shit. Like, guys, in case you didn't know, it's not like it's putting cotton in your (laughs) vagina. Like, that's it. It's not. That's all it is. 11 years old is also a really normal age to get your first period. Oh my God. Like, I feel like the majority of girls get it like 11, 12, 13. Okay, wait. Say when you got your first period on three. 13. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. A couple of late bloomers on this podcast, (laughs) but 11 is literally. Yeah. 11 is a really normal age to get your period. This is not like precocious puberty. It's not like (laughs) anyone has asked Gabby like, would you rather use a tampon or like, like explain to her like, here's the different options. Here's, you know, the pros and cons of each. Like, yeah, now she has this weird fucking idea. Like, she's going to go to college and her roommate's going to be like, I've been using tampons since I was 10 years old. Yeah. And she's going to be like, oh, no, weren't you too young? And her roommate's going to be like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> Literally, it's so weird. So anyway. I was using tampons immediately as a 13-year-old because I did dance. And Yeah. I, if you're an athlete in any way, you... And also, athlete. I had a heavy flow. Like, it's like... Yeah. I think my mom like just explained the differences to me and was like, let me know Dealer's what choice to you, you know. <laughs> um, we definitely like had both available to me when I got my first period. Yeah. Like it was just, yeah. There was so much weirdness about the period, which is so disappointing because like Jenny Holiday seems had to had genuinely else going for him. Well, and also the writer seems to like get women, like, yeah. uh, you know, and obviously like her being one, you would think she would be <laughs> not fucking weird about menstruation, but it like, you know, she seems to get female attraction and how to write a likable male character in all of these ways that we haven't necessarily gotten in other romance novels. And then, like, on this most basic of things, it's like, ew. I'm like, I'm sorry. Are you 10 years old? Yeah. Oi. 
truly disappointing. And our other main, I think, criticism of Leo is that he is an extremely proud man. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's understandable for some reasons. Like he doesn't want to feel like he's taking handouts, whatever. Like financially, I can understand that on some level. But with the money for the cab, like he'll take her $5,000 a day. Like he gets over that because it's pragmatic. But kind of. I mean. He then proceeds to act like he still has no money whatsoever. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. You making $15,000 in three days was a major plot point. (laughs) your entire year if, if I made more three thousand if I made a thousand dollars in three days I would be yeah. like fuck yeah dude yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like whoa that's like a third of my annual income basically so okay but there's this other plot point you mean fifteen thousand in... just to be clear yes yeah sorry <laughs> not one thousand is not a third of my annual income fifteen thousand is a little bit less than a third of my annual income. publishing industry is dire but it's not, <laughs> it's not I don't make three thousand dollars a year <laughs> feminist press literally just like whipping you in the basement <laughs> get to publicity <laughs> But there's this other part in the third act of the book where after the first sort of sex scene where she just like gets off by like grinding against him and it's like very hot and heavy and whatever. She's like, okay, like let's do this for real. He like comes to her room that night for them to actually have sex for the first time. And there's all this like lead up anticipation. Yeah, it's like so exciting and they're both so pumped about it. And then she's like, okay, really quickly before we start, I just have these NDAs that I need you to sign. And he, like, flips out. Like, he doesn't talk to her for a whole day of this trip because she... literally, like, you dishonor me this way. (laughs) Like, and he he doesn't even really, like, stick around to let her explain. Like, or, like, he was just, like, basically, like, fuck this. And, like, I'm never going to sign that. And, like, leaves and then, like, refuses to speak to her for the next 24 hours, which Mm -hmm. is a psycho thing to do. And, you know, he's, like, going out there to, like, angrily build the cabin for her. Like, it's so unserious. Yeah. And then she shows up. And she's like, you're right. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to dishonor you. I do have the NDA because the first time I ever had sex with someone, he took a picture of me naked in his bed and then posted it online and it became a whole thing. Yeah. But you're so right. I shouldn't have had you sign the NDA. And that's the conclusion of yeah. it. He's like he not feels like... bad for like a second. Yeah. He's like, oh, I never considered that. It's like, okay, asshole. Like, have you thought about <laughs> someone other than yourself? Like if you are with someone who is incredibly famous has like incredible wealth whatever it would be a huge deal if this comes out so just like sign the fucking nda like you know you're not gonna go to the tabloids about this she knows that it's like truly just like a formality to make sure that she can feel secure obviously she has way more to lose in this situation than you do and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry it's just because someone did revenge porn on me one time and the book is just like anyways like yeah she is the last person who should apologize here (laughs) he doesn't sign the nda she like rips up the paper and like gives it to him in a little bottle and is like i trust you and it's like just sign the NDA, dude. Get Especially the fuck if I heard that story, I would be sprinting to sign. I, know. I would be first of all, I would be like burying myself in the snow, yeah. like that SpongeBob meme where he buries <laughs> himself in the dirt and then just like woo it over his own face. Yeah. I would literally be like, so sorry, like I will be unavailable for the next forty-eight hours because I'm the biggest piece of shit who ever yeah. set foot on the earth, much yeah. less your country. And then I would be sprinting to sign that motherfucking NDA. Yeah, but instead, no. it's just like. And that's that conflict resolved. It's crazy. Yeah. So 
his pride is a huge turnoff. Yeah. Yeah. Get over yourself. At the end, like, when they are betrothed, he is like, I still haven't let her give me, like, a free $50,000 watch for just no fucking reason. <laughs> I'm like, what if you accepted nice things into your life? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know, bro. Like, you're literally gonna be a prince. Like, I think I think you can accept that you will be... Uh, Participating in, in gross luxury. <laughs> Yeah. So, but you know, you can take the Catholic out of the Bronx. <laughs> True. There is a lot of that Catholic guilt just for being alive. I don't deserve shit. Yep. So, here's something silly. Um her bodyguard is named Torkel. Yep. That's apparently a name that's not terribly uncommon in Switzerland and places like that, yeah. but I just think She just we, drops it on us and we're like, "No, <laughs> she's like and then Torkel said and I'm like, "I'm not I'm sorry. I'm sorry." But I cannot in my head hear Torkel and then imagine like a, a big, human. huge man yeah. who is going to be your bodyguard. Like if anything, Torkel is like a little like mischievous, like wizard man. Like he's like a little, like he's like coming out of the abyss to be like, ah, like your quest. My name is Torkel. I can't imagine a human being, period. Um, <laughs> in the zone of interest, actually, which is a novel by Martin Amos uh, set during the Holocaust, largely from the point of view of the Nazis who worked at Auschwitz, fun read, one of the Nazis has a tortoise named Torkel. And I'm wow. like, that is a appropriate That's a great name tortoise, tortoise name. Well, I don't know. I'm like, I don't want to give any of the Nazi <laughs> characters in this book credit for a good tortoise name. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think we can all agree, more appropriate for a tortoise than a human being. Yeah. So that's just silly. But also the other main, like, servant person mm -hmm. that's around and is a side character here and apparently has his own book focused on him the third book is his love story is mr benz b-e-n-z yep um do we know his first name matthias it's like a whole thing oh at the end yes leo's like mr benz what is your name <laughs> and he's like leo it's been matthias all along <laughs> that's yeah, that's a really meaningful exchange. <laughs> wow. Um, and then he's like, anyway, I'm going to keep calling him Mr. Benz because it's weird not to. Anyway, the way they're describing this way, he is like stick so far up his ass. He is Mr. Like decorum. He's actually yeah. not, he's not her like butler. He is the king's equerry. You know, the guy who plays Holt's gay husband on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Imagine every other role that guy has played as like a bit character in NBC comedies. And that's exactly what Mr. Ben is giving. <laughs> Nadine is Googling Brooklyn Nine-Nine Holtz. Oh, yeah. He played, Am I wrong? He played that guy on The Good Place. Yes. We oh. have now learned via Google that his name is Mark Evan Jackson, actually. Yeah. that This is what I was picturing for Mr. Benz. Turns out he's apparently also like 25 the whole time. That was apparently stated at one point. Totally missed it because nothing in my understanding of this character could align with man who is 25 years yeah. old. Um, and the actor I just mentioned is, like, late 40s, early 50s, easily. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, what's that about? When Lena was like, Mr. Benz is the focus of the third world, I was like, ew! <laughs> and then she was like, apparently he's young. And I was like, what? Yeah, so if you want to see Mr. Benz, fuck. I don't. Book three, baby. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be like, oh, like, him coming out of his shell and learning not to be so proper. Yeah, this whole thing is very silly. The way that it ends is so silly. Basically, Marie has been <laughs> Are you going to talk about it? I am. Okay. Marie... <laughs> <laughs> So just to give you some context here, <laughs> the king was basically like, I am going to announce your 
engagement to Max, who's mm-hmm. this other her He's betrothed. like a, a duke of whatever yeah. country, tonight at the ball. And she's like, no, you can't. I don't want to marry Max. And he's like, well, this is it. Sucks and to like, be you. Basically, her and Max have always been like trying very hard to just put it off. Like they like each other. They're like besties, but they are just like not trying to be romantically involved with each other. Yeah. They joke about like doing a turkey baster if it comes down to it. They're very to produce much an not. Air. Yeah. But so she's like, no, you can't announce to everyone that I'm engaged to Max. It's going to ruin everything. And blah, blah, blah. There's all this drama. First of all, the conclusion that she comes to is like, well, I'll just abdicate the throne then. Like, I can't live a life where I have to marry someone I don't want. Blah, blah, blah. And Which I don't know why I'm laughing. That's like actually fair. If you don't want to be involved in the monarchy anymore, then like Cheers. leave the fucking monarchy. Yeah. Don't no, pull a Harry like... and Meghan and be like, we're leaving. No, we're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like huge respect if she had actually done that, but she doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it actually like was not that serious. And like she basically made a big deal out of not nothing but yeah the whole time like her and leo are both like going to the ends of the earth to like pull off these like insane schemes Mm -hmm. so that you know they can have what they want or whatever and meanwhile the king is just like chilling the result is like it's very clear that if marie had just talked to him again or like leo had talked to him ever and been like hey i'm kind of serious about your daughter yeah like he would have been like oh okay but yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no one can talk. We have to have drama. Yeah. So the the dramatic scene is that um so Leo this whole time you know Marie was like there's this ball and he's like I don't do balls whatever. So he's which like, again he wasn't it's stupid. like if you really like this woman just fucking just go, go to the, the ball. ball. She doesn't like balls either. Yeah. But she has to go because she's the princess. So just go. <laughs> well, she likes balls a little. Bit. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um. Gross. So anyway, Leo. Mr. Benz comes through and helps Leo get a fancy suit and get ready for the ball. And he literally, like, makes a grand entrance the way that a woman would in, like, the opposite of this plot. Where, like, oh, she's the princess now and she's coming down the staircase and her mm-hmm. beautiful. But it's him coming down the staircase in the suit. But the way that they describe it is, wait, where's that quote? We need it word We for gotta word. have the quote. No one could mistake that look. That stride. He was staking a claim. He was coming for her. <laughs> Earlier, she'd focused on not making a scene. But she hadn't known this kind of scene was an option. Her entire body tingled as he jumped down the last few steps, landed like a panther, and began crossing the floor, oblivious to the light shining on them and to the crowd watching in silent astonishment. Like, the what? <laughs> we both took a stab at acting out what that would look like, mm-hmm. leaping off the couch, we like startled knives with our ridiculous movements. It's um, giving Cats the musical. <laughs> yeah what the fuck are we supposed to picture other than this man literally like going on all fours across this very proper ballroom floor and she's like my whole body's tingling um she also the sentence like two pages before that when she's describing like his look coming down the stairs she literally says he looks like a predator and I'm like, oh, hot. Like, I love it when the person I'm into looks like a fucking predator. This is what I'm talking about with Jenny Holiday trying to do this weird, mm-hmm. like, possession kink shit in the middle of her otherwise wholesome but with sex Hallmark movie novel is like she it's tries weird. to make my very normal Bronx man be like I own you now and I'm like listen if we're being so real she owns, she owns like financially speaking like you cannot leave this relationship Absolutely. after you move to Eldovia yeah um but yeah he's like 
I just did the equivalent of putting you over my shoulder and walking away with you. And yeah. she's like, I think everyone can see that. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Like, like this dude is overcompensating so fucking hard. If you guys have seen the movie Fair Play on Netflix, which is about a man becoming an absolute monster, like seriously, because his fiance his female fiance gets a promotion that he thinks he deserved like it's very much giving that like small king short dick energy <laughs> like you you literally don't have to do all that like yeah. I, i'm glad she's into it i guess because of course she is but gross <laughs> yeah it's so it's very ridiculous it's very silly it's just the drama of the unnecessary drama of this whole plot yeah. anyway i mean like you know the whole like reverse ballroom staircase moment is cute except then she had to make it weird by being yeah. like he was like a panther and a predator and he like le- leapt from <laughs> balcony like what's going landed on? like a panther <laughs> yeah other moments of like weird her trying to make Leo be like suddenly a different kind of person than he is at one point during a sex scene she's wearing something with a lot of buttons it's like supposed to be a running joke in the book that like she keeps wearing like all these like complicated rich people clothes with a shit ton of buttons because she has like people to help her dress and stuff yeah um so he literally like rips her sweater off or something and like pops some of the buttons and like literally that's not hot i spend money on that yeah don't rip it i don't understand the clothes literal bodice ripping yeah trope like no i just the whole time i'd be like even if i was like excited in the moment by that by like the immediacy of it afterwards i would be like i do like, wait but like are you gonna <laughs> learn to sew and fix that because, especially like, this woman's probably like custom couture like literally irreplaceable yeah wardrobe i would assume i know like and she's gonna have to go to her like whoever does her fashion stuff and be like um so sorry my, my disgusting ass boyfriend like ripped this off my body yeah i do not i i don't understand yeah i don't know don't do that we've got I a mean, teeny tiny little woman to, and but... a big old guy yeah she's like it's not my fault i'm just my stature yeah so <laughs> luckily there's no talk about how tiny her vagina is yes because as we we've established that. that is not relative to body size <laughs> yeah um but yeah she is like you know five one five two and he's supposed to be Six tall something. and kind of like built yeah classic just i mean that's par for the course and pretty much everyone i think we've had that yeah oh continuously they say f instead of saying fuck but then they do actually say, say fuck. fuck sometimes so like, it's like they'll be like f me like i couldn't believe that whatever and it's like but then like two things in the he's like, i know how to fuck and it's like okay so just say it like what it's not like this is like you're gonna get rated r right. in the movies like it's like you're keeping your pg-13 like this you, is you don't have a like a certain book, number like. of fucks in your back pocket like i don't understand yeah it's very it, it took me out of it i'm like no way is this man being like f my traffic so bad it's like, like this was written for one market and then jenny holiday went back and like her control f to take out all the f's and yeah. make them fucks like failed like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just a weird scattering she also says goddamn sometimes and then goddamned mm. other times and i'm like stop it pick one yeah and pick goddamn because it doesn't make any sense to say goddamned God unless you're writing in the 18th century Speaking of word choices, mm-hmm. um, this is funny because this is like a pet peeve of mine for like the queer community. Yeah. <laughs> um, she says humans instead of people. People, I think, is an underrated word in the English vocabulary <laughs> in this day and age. Yeah. It's like, for some reason, I feel like in certain queer circles, people think that this gives them like additional 
look how mindful I'm being of like being gender, gender neutral, yeah. like clout, but it means exactly the same thing. And it just makes you sound like a literal alien yeah. when you could just be saying people. So like, when he's talking to Danny about the fact that she's single, she's like, I want to have sex with a human again, which first of all is giving like you're having sex yeah. with non-humans. Well, I think and, they, and he <laughs> makes a joke about that at first. Oh, yeah. And is like, what? What else? What, who are you having sex with? Yeah. And like dogs. And she's like, ew, like, you know what I mean? And then but then they just proceed in the conversation using the word humans instead yeah. of like people. He's like, you should like, have sex with however many humans you want. And <laughs> I'm just like, what if we were normal? And. I guess Danny is a college English professor, so yes. she's probably... She's an English professor at Fordham. Go Rams! Go Rams! But yeah, she probably is hearing a lot of nonsense every day. But that does not mean it has to become a part of her personal vocabulary. Yeah. And that doesn't just happen like between Danny and Leo. At one point, I think in Marie's inner monologue, she's like, even though I, I'd had relationships with other humans in college or something yeah. like that. And it's just like... Guys, and, and it's like ET. it's not like she's bisexual. Nope. Like it, she just there's nothing to indicate that whatsoever. Nope. That's not what the author meant. Yeah, it's just like a weird. Yeah, stop doing it. Stop That's it. my plea to all of you out there writing or speaking in the world. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. It's weird. Also, non-binary people are also people, and I think it's fine <laughs> to refer to them as such. People also do this where they replace like people with bodies, especially Ooh. when they're talk. They'll be like, "Oh, like marginalized bodies," and it's just like, Ew. "Yikes!" Like you are further dehumanizing these people. They'll be like, "Ah, like the violence against black bodies," and it's like, "Why not?" Unless you are like in like an academic paper talking about gynecological history and like you know black female body whatever, yeah. but it's like. That, that is not what we're doing most of the time in regular conversation. Just say yeah. people. People is a great word. Underrated, great word. 10 Thanks. out of 10. That's it. Might we recommend <laughs> the word people? With that, why don't we hear from some people about what they thought of this book? These humans had a lot of great opinions about this book. Um, okay, so it's Anthropology Corner time. So on Goodreads, Overall, this book has 3.59 stars. Much lower than I think it should be. I think it deserves probably four from I mean, the general as... romance community. Yes, exactly. Like, I'm for like... my general rating, I think I gave this book like 3.5. For people who read like real books, um, <laughs> it's, it's a solid 3 or 3.5 for me. But for the for romance what it is, For what it is, for like a predictable solid four like cheesy at least. at least a solid four this yeah. is yeah it's lovely i don't have a lot of complaints okay so jen reads romance gave it five stars and said i really enjoyed this book a lot i know everyone enjoys a christmas movie but this was even better for me <laughs> all the charm but you know with a lot more kissing lol i also like that gabby leo's little sister was a fully formed character and not just a plot moppet I thought that was a funny turn of phrase. Slot moment. Thanks, Jen. Um, I agree. Even though, really, Gabby only exists in this plot to make Leo have excuses to do the things that he's doing, make the initial choices that he's making, and also to, you know, create additional sympathy and make him more likable. She is also a fully formed character in this book, and that's cool. And she adds a lot of fun flavor. Yeah. You know, as the book is selling itself as like a steamy Hallmark Christmas movie, like, mm -hmm. you know, most of the commenters are also responding to this aspect of it being like, it's exactly what it says on the tin. Like, it's like a Christmas movie, but with some sex scenes. And that's great. Becky gave it five stars and she says, don't let the illustrated cover fool you. This was perfection, like a Hallmark movie, but with more depth, shade thrown at Hallmark movies and way more than just a chaste kiss at the end. 
Um, so about the cover, what's really interesting is, so the cover of this book has this like illustrated kind of- it, These are all trad book, right? The whole trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But clearly they changed their marketing technique in between books one and two. They were like, no, people um, like ugly fan art. <laughs> well, okay. I will say that it looks like the way that it's marketed is geared probably towards a slightly older demographic, honestly. True. Yeah. Um, it looks a little bit more classic. It looks like, like a fashion illustration from like 1920s Vogue. Exactly. It's just like her with some like Christmas theme. She's wearing a red coat and just like standing there by herself. It's not as cartoonishly cartoon people it is more like a fashion illustration that's a really good way to describe it Thanks. um but books two and three are you're just very classic i think uglier than usual honestly i mean definitely the art leaves something to be desired um but uh <laughs> they are in general your classic kind of much more actually like drawn and procreate yeah <laughs> cartoon couple on the cover there's like sort of a gimmicky kind of look to it even the typeface for the text is like a hand-drawn typeface mm -hmm. as opposed to this cursive type that is appearing on the first book mm -hmm. um so this christmas in aldovia series the second one is called duke actually which is also the title has gone a very different direction like the the vibe of the title yeah a princess for christmas is like I could expect anything from that. Like, I probably would not have expected this book to be including sex scenes in it right. from the cover. But looking at the second book's cover, I absolutely would. That's the vibe it's giving. True. So it is super interesting. I just wanted to sort of think on that a little bit, the way that the marketing has changed and how the romance industry marketing has changed so much over time mm. um, and to like the different streams of it that still exist. Yeah. And it's not like this book came out that long ago. This book is from... 2020, I think. 2021. Yeah. First published October in 2020. 2020. Yeah. So... I mean, even just, I wonder how much the industry has changed just in the past couple of years, because it really boomed oh over the pandemic. Right. Like, I think between the first and the second book, a lot changed. And they were like, we got to take a totally different direction. Yeah. Because people clearly respond to ugly art. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you guys. No, it's not good. Up your taste in every aspect of this. Yeah. Consumerism. <sighs> Okay, so my last review that I wanted to share. Oh, I will. I do quickly want to touch on the girlies like resenting the chasteness of Hallmark movies. Mm. I have only seen like one or two, and I've watched two Lifetime original Christmas movies because they were about gay people. But, and I don't think that this is confined to the gay ones. These products are so jarringly sexless <laughs> that it actually feels like more transgressive than if there was a lot of sex in that. Like, it is so fucking creepy. Like, the lack yeah. of... No, you're so right. ...humanity and, like, passion. And, and so I'm just sort of like, is it just, like, older people who are... I will say, one of my favorite film critics, Alonso Duralde, who is a married gay man, is obsessed with Hallmark Christmas movies, has written, I think, multiple books at this point wow. about them. Like, that is, like, his area of film scholarship. Wow. Um, so... I would love to know why he likes them so much. Yeah. Like, like on a human level, like what are you getting out of that beyond warm fuzzies, which I guess is just enough for some people. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I we've definitely watched some Lifetime movies that were just for the funny factor. Like, for sure. Because we're like, this is so dumb. Yeah. 
But what draws me to media, I mean, my like top 10 movies of the year this year were like, yeah, the how, weirdest shit you've ever seen. How feral can you be? <laughs> yeah. Opposite energy of Very Hallmark much. movies. Okay, so the last review that I will share is from Rachel Reads and Sings, who gave it five stars. Rachel says, I'm also absolutely obsessed with how this perfectly captured the feeling of watching a Hallmark or Netflix Christmas romance while also incorporating some really great steamy scenes. I loved Leo's dirty talking in particular. It's like you get the best of both worlds here, lol. Highly recommend if you're looking for a fun, sweet, and sexy Christmas rom-com. My only issue is that I didn't love how everything with the main conflict wrapped up really easily slash quickly, but that's pretty typical of Hallmark movies, so I'm cool with it. One thing that I will say here is that there were a lot of commenters who said they really liked Leo's dirty talking. It was certainly not nearly as egregious as many a dirty talking. Oh, if girls want to call that dirty talk and like that is what dirty talk is from here on out, like, like cheers. Love it. No, would I love to like, just cap okay, it at that. In the first sex scene when she starts grinding on him, he's like, yeah, take what you need. And it's like, yeah, good. Cheers. Let's go, girls. But... <laughs> Lena pointed out that he's from the Bronx and he has an accent. Um, so after Lena was like saying some of those types of lines in a Bronx accent, I just couldn't stop laughing. And so I just want to leave you with that uh, yeah. warm and fuzzy note in your mm-hmm. in your heart to know that all of that sexy <laughs> stuff is uh, coming from a very thick Bronx accent. Yep. Cheers. Picture it. Picture the words pretty pussy. No, okay, that was a really bad one. Yeah, we can't. I can't. Nope. (laughs) Right to jail. Well, I think that's it for me. Do you have anything else you want to say about this book? No, I mean, I think when Rachel said, I would highly recommend if you're looking for a fun, sweet, and sexy Christmas rom-com, I would echo that. Like, if you want to turn your brain off and tune in to something like this, I think this is a solid example. I read it in like a couple of hours, just breezed right through it. I did not feel particularly moved in any kind of way about it, but I had some laughs. I, you know, enjoyed somewhat some of the sex scenes and yeah, just, I was like, that was silly. Yeah. So a good way to spend an evening, I suppose. All right. Well, Lena, what have you been reading this week or the past couple of weeks as we've been on a little hiatus here? Yeah, back from our holiday hiatus, which was supposed to be one week, but ended up being two plus three. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Happy New Year. Yeah, I mean, I rounded up all of the books that I read last year to sort of like see how that went. And I read 82 books last year. Woo! Um, Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know you're applauding me in your car or home (laughs) or as you walk down the street to get groceries. And so I'm trying to do at least 80 again this year. So I'm on my third book of the year on January 6th. Feeling good. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently reading Brutes by Diz Tate, which like if I was going to write about a literary fiction work in a satire about literary fiction works, I would make it called Brutes by Diz Tate. <laughs> Sorry, Diz Tate. Um, but I cannot believe that that is your name. It's so perfect. <laughs> so anyway, that is, uh, so far, I'm halfway through quite a good literary work about grubby little teenage girls in a gross part of Florida near the Orlando theme parks. And I was in a middle class to upper middle class part of Florida. So I can't relate 100%. But like, just the way that this author describes coming back to Florida as an adult and the heat. And I don't know, there are a lot of things that are hitting home. And also, I love it when teenage girls are feral, and there's like a mystery crime element. So 
it's all hitting. I just mentioned I finished The Zone of Interest, which, like, I don't know that it's possible or appropriate to say that you like a book from a predominantly Nazi point of view set during the Holocaust, but it made me think quite a lot. And now I'm, like, very interested in, in doing more research into that period of history because I, you know, haven't done any since I was forced to in, like, seventh grade or whatever. <laughs> but, like, as someone who's interested in human behavior and especially the extremes of human behavior, like, definitely something I'm interested in delving into further in a non-fictional sense, although this was a really jaw-dropping piece of fiction just from a research standpoint. Like, Martin Amis, his acknowledgments are seven pages long. And one of them is just like a block of text of like all of the books <laughs> that he read. Like, I'm just like, bro, like to write a novel? Yeah. Like, you're writing a dissertation right now. For um, real. I was just That's like, impressive. It's so impressed. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Glazer's movie, The Zone of Interest, which is out now, I think, and like a favorite for some various Oscar nominations, is supposed to be adapted from this novel i feel like you should not even be allowed to say that because it's literally like the only similarity is that it also takes place in the zone of interest which is like occupied poland auschwitz territory the characters and plot if you can say that jonathan glazer's movie has a plot are absolutely completely different um <laughs> but it's interesting and thought-provoking in a different way so anyway interacting with both of those texts has been intellectually productive for me the last couple of weeks. Merry Christmas, everybody. And then <laughs> before that, my first book of the year was Funny Weather by Olivia Lang, which she's an essayist and a critic and a novelist just writing about various artists that she likes. I mean, I did not personally get a lot out of it, although apparently a lot of people have, and cheers to them for that. So that's what I've been reading lately. I posted on my Instagram the 13 books that I rated five stars in 2023. If you want to go get a sense of that, two of them are horror novels by Grady Hendrix. <laughs> two of them are gut-wrenching novels about, or one of them's a memoir, one of them's a novel about <laughs> the sexual exploitation of young women. So just all laughs and smiles <laughs> every day uh, here in my fun little brain. Yeah. Um, what was your year in reading like and what have you been reading lately? Yeah, so I read about half as many books as Lena read last year. I think my final number was like 46. And I also did the same thing. I analyzed, looked at sort of the genres that I was reading, etc. and had a really interesting time with that. What was interesting is that even though I hardly read any genre fiction, like horror, sci-fi, fantasy, Almost all of the books that I like chose for my top five of the year, ones that I've rated five stars, were falling into those categories. So I think I would like to read more genre this year. And I have kicked that off by uh, starting with a science fiction fantasy book that my brother lent me. It is called Yumi and the Nightmare Painter by Brandon Sanderson, who is... Um, Baby's first Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> yeah, that's incredibly prolific. Um, if like, they're listening to this but... podcast, they've heard of him, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, incredibly prolific uh, science fiction fantasy writer of our moment right now. <laughs> Lies, where Her are you going? butt is so insane. I know. <laughs> <laughs> our Pomeranian needs a haircut so bad. Her butt fur is like a foot long. Knives! What are you doing over there? I might just be getting a drink of water. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. The world building was really spectacular. It definitely had some twists and turns that I did not see coming, and I always appreciate that. 
even when I sort of thought I knew what was happening, I didn't, but there were clues seeded in all along to what was going on. So it's like you could have kind of figured it out, but you also couldn't have. But yeah, it also, this edition that my brother has is like a fancy Kickstarter exclusive edition. So it's like got foiling on the cover and all these beautiful illustrations on the inside. And um, if you, like me, love a book as object, all you ebook and audiobook girlies, you'll never get me. I mean, like I have been reading some ebooks lately, but I love a physical book and I love the texture of a book and the, the feeling of like the weight of the pages, especially I'll say working in publishing, people put a lot of thought into exactly how a book comes out as a physical product, the weight of the paper, the typesetting, you know, like the quality of the ink and all of these things. So yeah. That's my plug for reading a physical reading book. Reading fucking books. And uh, buying books from your local independent bookstore or getting them from your local library. I will say I have been using Libby to listen to audiobooks as I go about my day and do our like New Year's chores and stuff. I don't count listening to books as reading them simply because you <laughs> do not read things that you listen to with your ears. But I did listen to an audiobook recently that I actually really enjoyed. So I will recommend it to you guys because I listen to like basically only rom-coms ideally bad Mm -hmm. rom-coms like this one was really good and it kept me from doing my chores as a result (laughs) called for her consideration by amy spaulding lesbian love story i do not listen to straight people in my free time Mm -hmm. god help me and it's about a woman who went through a horrible breakup like the kind of sociopathy that only dykes can pull off (laughs) which like if you're not one truly so her ex who like they had been together for three years, lived together, were like planning on getting married. So like our relationship. Yeah. Her ex was basically like, I can't deal with you anymore. Like I'm moving out. I'm like sleeping on our friend's couch. And she emails her and she's like, I'm genuinely sorry. I can't do this in person. But like, I've just basically been like building up all these resentments against you. And I need to let you know what's been going on. And she writes out a list of like everything that she thinks is wrong with her. (gasps) A list. She's like, you're late all the time. You lack ambition. You like blah, 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 blah. And so, no. yes. And it ruins this girl's fucking life and like self-esteem. And she literally like hides out in Santa Clarita. She lived in LA. Also, she goes to like have makeup drinks with this woman. You know, it's like her last chance. Cause yeah. guys, don't be a lesbian if you can help it. <laughs> it's so exhausting. <laughs> Holy shit. But like, I was like, this woman knows what she's talking about when she writes this shit. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like maybe they can talk things out and like get back together, like based on these drinks. And she's like, I read the list. I don't know that I 100 percent agree with everything, but I'm willing to work on like whatever. Like, I love you and I love our life together. And like, I do have to say, like, you said that, like, I can be inconsiderate. And I like made sure to check in with some of our friends about that. And I don't know that I've met people who like feel the same way. But like, if you do, obviously, I want to put work into that. And this girl says, if our friends don't feel that way, it's because they don't know you well enough yet. No. That's evil. I'm like, did someone do this to Amy Spaulding or like one of her friends? Because like, it's so specific specific and so correct. So anyway, this girl like spends three years of her life literally like disconnects from her friends, disconnects from her life. And it's just like, goodbye. Like I'm a toxic piece of shit and I like can't handle any of this apparently. So anyway, she falls in love and like 
it's about that, like, she, you know, kind of lands, like, a Kristen Stewart-esque baddie and, like, great for her. Um, <laughs> but it's also very much about her, like, being folded back into this found family that she's mm. formed with her dyke friend group in L.A. And they're all very, like, realistic and cool. There are, like, a lot of adorable butches. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of, like, really wholesome, like, femme butch couples and, like... Uh, you know, her celebrity <laughs> partner is kind of soft butch and like her best friend's wife is like a, you know, LA marketing butch and they're both like fighting to be like the most useful on this like vacation <laughs> that they all go on together. Um, yeah. And like every part of this is resolved. Like her best friend is like, I get that that fucked with you so hard. I wish you told me about it. Like, I would have kicked this girl's ass. But, yeah. like, you don't get to just, like, remove yourself from my life and assume that that doesn't affect me. Mm. Like, I needed a best friend, too. Like, it's, like, all, like, yeah. So wow. I was supposed to be washing dishes and I was just, like, standing there, like, <laughs> listening to this woman's life come back together. Yeah. There's this moment where she was, like, because it takes a long time for her to also, like, be honest with her friends after mm. they reconnect about why she exited society yeah basically and then like she finally does and she's like the absolute relief that i felt at sharing the worst thing someone had ever said about me and realizing that like the people who i cared about most like didn't think that they were true and i was Oof. just like uh. Wow. <laughs> that's magical yeah wow intimacy with other human beings guys i recommend it. Out of <laughs> it's good even when it's scary yeah well, one other book that I am currently reading, I'm kind of actually doing this terrible thing that I sometimes do where I pick up like three books and read a little bit of them and then I get indecisive about which one I want to continue reading. I don't know why I have done this to myself again. But anyway, one that I am intending to finish next is um, A Year in Practice by Jacqueline Suskin, which is a book basically about creative practice and thinking of it as seasons of the year so you know in winter how might your body and your sort of psyche be responding to the state of the world right now and how might your creative practice change with the seasons and like in responding to the earth responding to the way that the world around you is so i just think that's lovely i am excited to dive in more yay my love, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Nadine Santoro on Instagram, and my website is nadinesantoro.com. And I also have just started a newsletter, Wee. which you can find on Substack. It's called The Doorway. I also have links to that in my Instagram bio. But it is a newsletter that I am hoping to run mainly via snail mail. If you subscribe to the paid version for about $5 a month, you will get physical letters from me in the mail twice a month, including all sorts of little twice a month ephemera. Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's some real bang for your buck. Yeah, it's, I would never I am, do that on my Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a good deal. It is. I'm just breaking even on this. I'm not making any profit. Like yeah. I'm just paying for stamps and, and stuff. So yeah, if that sparks your interest, if you would like to receive physical mail, you can think about signing up. It's a newsletter about creativity, creative practice, spirituality, and community. So yeah, that's what's up with me. Uh, what about you, Lena? Where can people find you? If you want to hear more about my favorite books and movies of the year, you can head on over to my Instagram at Lena L. Wilson. My Patreon is patreon.com slash Lena L. Wilson, which is where you can get some extra goodies some behind the scenes stuff from me as a freelancer contributing to that patreon also helps me have the time and space to record and edit this very podcast and you can find my website at lenawilson.work 
And you can find us, Thinking Straight, at Thinking Straight Pod on Instagram. And you can email us at thinkingstraightpod at gmail.com. Okay, that's all. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas. <laughs> and most importantly, stay spicy. Hi, I'm Lena. This is Thinking Straight. Hey. Hey. Hey, <laughs> is what thinking straight over here? <laughs>